I'm Claire Manship. And I'm Ian Brodsky. And this is The Thing That Happened This Week. The show where everyone brings a story from the past seven days and we break it down. So stay tuned, you don't want to miss it! Thanks for helping me do that. Yeah, of course. Ian just helped me record an audition. Yeah. Yeah, because he's a good friend. I do what I can. Yeah. We all gotta, we gotta get that hustle on or whatever. You know what? I really feel like you have a future as a cinematographer of this whole acting thing. Thanks? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, maybe I gotta take that out. I really didn't It's fine. It's all it. good. No. <laughs> I, I, I know what you meant. <laughs> no, but you have a steady, like, you, you have a, a tripod and a steady yeah. hand and... I mean, I was trying to fix my hair most of the takes, but Ian has a good way of also signaling me to know when it's time to start. I, I feel like I've been through enough of these that I can, like, <laughs> that I've developed somewhat of my own language or at least something. When I was in the sixth grade, I was appointed the director of the Deer Park Elementary Morning News. Yeah. And the director does this amazing thing. You want to know what it does? Tell me. So the countdown happens and it goes like, boop. Boop, and then the last three are silent. And so I held up three fingers. Three, two, one. And then on one, you go from the from the one number one finger, and then you point at the anchor over the top ah. of the computer so they know it's time to start. That's smart. Yeah. I could be a journalist. You could. <laughs> um, I didn't aren't we all today? Um, oh, man. Those are alternative yeah. facts. Um, Jesus Christ. So without giving out too much information, like speaking of alternative facts, uh-huh. guess who at least used to have a child that went to the studio I teach at. Donald Trump? Kellyanne Conway. What? Yeah. <gasps> Kellyanne! Like, that's all I'm going to say, because, like, they're, like, there's no, like, bad blood or anything. Like, it's just, like, it's, like, a completely separate world. <laughs> but, like, I found that out, and I was like, no. Man, Kel- Just jaw dropped. I just want to know, like, what a day in the mind of, like, someone like Kellyanne Conway is because I would imagine that there's great music you know like when when you're sitting in a car and you look out and it's a rainy window and like mm-hmm. whenever that happens I hear the parent trap the there she goes there I, she goes again there she goes again there we, she goes again. yeah we changed the key like six times it's cool but, you know that's it's, artistic license and whenever I'm on a plane I hear um making my way downtown yeah walking fast I feel like Kellyanne Conway's is like bum bum I don't know what her music is, but you know, like, you can tell when she's on TV, her eyes, like, she's hearing something and, like, her gears are turning. (laughs) In college, my friends and I (laughs) I forget, it's either, like, Daily Show or at midnight, like, one of, um, one of, like, the late night shows will do, like, a Donald Trump, like, like 20 second clip it'll be the uh curb your enthusiasm theme playing (laughs) so like it has a very similar vibe uh and it's just so funny (laughs) yeah did you see the um someone recreated the opening of the office for like donald trump's oval office no oh man it's really funny because it's like it's like him doing michael scott things but he's not steve carell so it's like it has like a really dark that's that's like amazing but sick but amazing. I have to say Steve Carell is like a dilfy dude. Like I would I he's, would. Like he's incredible and I talk about this quite a bit like because I get compared to Steve Carell so much. Um Yeah. 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 Um, but I was never really a fan of him until after The Office. 
like when he started make maybe not after the office but when he started like making like films where he was like a leading man and just like a normal human being of a role i really do i recommend to a lot of people um seeking a friend for the end of the world I love that movie which like you're friends with kira so i'm sure like you just love watching it but i mean i i watched that like right before i started working with her <laughs> like just by chance and so then and you see like... her on set and you're like i have to tell you about this very tiny indie <laughs> film that you did that's going to stream on netflix exactly only. exactly <laughs> But I, but like I caught it on like a movie channel, and I really liked it. Gosh, and you know what? I really feel like that role, and also in Begin Again, that she has um, opportunities to like burgeon a character in a mm-hmm. lot of ways that like the Pirates franchise didn't let her. And like I like seeing that because I think yeah. that, um, or like Love Actually doesn't really let her be. She's like an object in that movie, mm-hmm. and I really like seeing, you know, not just another pretty face. Like she yeah. also has a brain. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I guess not on, like, the exact same similar note, but, like, that's why I liked Steve Carell and all those movies he started doing, because mm-hmm. he wasn't just, like, this brain-dead, two-dimensional, like, shticky character, which, like, I think there's a lot of comedy in it, but, like, it's not always for me. But seeing him in, like, Dan in real life, and then... Dan in real life was pretty great. Yeah, and um, have you seen The Way, Way Back? Wait, Dan in real life was the one where he goes to, like, his sister's something at a beach house, and then he's at the library and runs into someone. Yeah, there's, like, a family, like, reunion, like, at a lake house or something. Or, like, bookshelf, or, I mean, a bookstore. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I speak at a good English. It does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, like, so, seeing those, I'm like, okay, Props, Steve Carell. Yeah. You know what that... Um, Dan in real life reminded me of Stranger Than Fiction, where I was like, Will Ferrell has the chops. Just no one will let him yeah. do it. Like, yeah. And I also remember loving Dan in real life because Norbert Leo Butts plays one of his brothers. Oh, Norbert. Love him. You know who um, also reminds me of Norbert, who just like shows up in films? Like, who? Uh, <laughs> Brian Darcy James. Yeah. I actually saw... I see him everywhere. He's I everywhere. Him, I see him everywhere, but I saw him on the train the other day, and I yeah. was like, it's a good sign. I'm on my way to a call day. And That's there's so Brian. Cool. Mendoza James. So cool. Handsome man. That's another, I wouldn't call him Dilfy because he's like in our business. He's like, yeah. We're less than a degree of separation from some of these people. Yeah. But he's a very handsome man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or do you have older female actors that you're that you're into that you'd be um, like, wow, if I had the ooh. chance? I, I, I really want to say like Patricia Clarkson, Jan Maxwell. Ooh, like, yeah. Like I have a thing for like really like strong women. Yeah, well, um, as you should. Yeah. Um, you don't want to date a mouse. I don't. You don't want to date a louse. <laughs> Anything that rhymes with house or house. I don't want to date a house either, so there you go. <laughs> it's too big. Um, it's too big. We'd look weird in the photos it, together. <laughs> that, like, yeah. You have to be a really good artist to make that happen. I know, man. Um, you got to take space. I did see Megan Hilty on a train once, and I was on my way to a callback, Yeesh, too. I would fall apart. Well, I don't know if I told you, I met her at the Begin Again premiere. Oh. And she was, like, nine months pregnant, and, and glowing. And glowing. Gorgeous. And, perfect person. And I was just like, hey, I I was just doing that thing, but like, I, I, I'm i such a big fan of your work. And she goes, oh my God, it's you. It's you. You're the guy. Like, you're, like, you're, <laughs> you're the guy. Yeah. From Chloe. And my friend walks her dog. Oh my God, Megan Hilty so like, fangirled yeah. you. Like the slightest bit. And then like, I saw her like a year later. I was like, hey, you probably don't remember me, but like, I, I walked up to you at the beginning of her. She's like, oh, cool. Like. How's it going? How is things? Like, it's good. Like, good luck and everything. Like, it was. I love that. It was like I'm sure she was in no mood because she's Megan Hilty on a subway and she just got done talking to someone else. But like, she obliged and she was super chill about it. So, I, I ten out of ten, do it again. If I want, I want a career like Megan's or like 
I don't know. Audra's kind of beyond this realm. Yeah. But like, or like in film, like we were just talking about Kathy and Jimmy, or mm-hmm. like um, uh, Judy Greer. Like Judy. I Gre- love Judy Greer. Duh, duh. Oh. I feel like you're kind of a female Judy Greer. Thank you. A male Judy Greer. Sorry. Still. <laughs> I know what you meant. And I was like, oh. I need to loan you Judy Greer's book. It's called I Don't Know no, What You Know Me From. Please. And that's the kind of career I want is where I'm just, where I'm working, but like no one, it was like Thomas Middleditch before yeah. Thomas Middleditch. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like the guy who showed up in everything, but like yeah. he was, he was Dwight's brother on The Office. Did you remember that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I do now because it's Thomas Middleditch. <laughs> Thomas yeah. Middleditch. That's He's great. I mean, I do them all. Every person, every person we've named. Right? <laughs> It's like one big it's just, this week's thing orgy. Yeah. Oh, man. This week's thing is all the people <laughs> I want to go out with. Yeah. You know what's funny, though, is like I think about it and like George Clooney and my dad are like the same age. And like. That's weird. It's weird, right? When you put it into that context. Or yeah. like Sean Connery is Sean like Connery. easily 15 years older than my dad. Yeah. And then I think about it and I'm like, wow. I don't, like, I don't know. You know. And it's, But it's funny for me because my parents are. Like, they had me older, so my parents are a lot are older than a lot of my peers' parents. Oh. So I think of, like, George Clooney, I think of Sean Connery. I'm like, Sean Connery is probably around my parents' age. George Clooney is, like, probably 10 years younger than my parents. I didn't realize yeah. that Larry and Honey Bee, wow. Yeah, I was... They I mean, look, well, they look super young. Honey Bee do. doesn't look a day over 40. I, I'll, I'll tell her you said that. She uh, she's gonna listen. For that. She's she gonna will. listen. She will. Hi, um, Mama. Hi, Mom and Dad. How you doing? Um, yeah. My parents will never listen to this show. Like, no matter my how... My parents will listen for both of us. Well, my parents are afraid that... I mean, because we, we curse a lot. Yes. Particularly me. And my parents are still under, like, the guise that, like, I don't go out with anybody. Like, I don't... You know, I've never cursed before. Like, I Dang. go to church every Sunday. Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm just trying to be, like, who they're hoping. That's... I, I don't know. I mean, there's, like... I. I I know what you mean. Like, there's there's a right. respect in that. Like, it's out of respect for your parents. And... That I will say, Honey Bee, there have been many times that I have led Ian down a dark and twisty <laughs> path on this show, and then we get ten minutes we get ten minutes later, and Ian's like, you know, it all has to go, right? <laughs> my mom listens to the show. They're pretty open minded, though. It, like, not that we talk about everything, but it's like there's some things we just like we don't need to talk about that. Like, not a, like a bad thing, in I'm, a bad way, but yeah, I'll never. I'll never forget calling my mom when I was like 19. I called her from school and she's like, so what are you doing today? Like, what classes do you have? I go, actually, like class was canceled, but I'm going to the doctor. And she was like, why? And I was like, um, well, you know, I get migraines from my period. Like I really, Mm -hmm. you know, like I want to go get birth control. And she was like, "Uh uh-huh. So what classes do you have today? Like she she blacked out the second you said period. I know, I know. And then came back when you, like when she stopped hearing your voice. I know. Isn't that so funny? But now I work like we're really casual like my mom and I are super casual but it's just like some things you can't you can't touch those subjects yeah you know and like that might just be like a southern thing I was I was gonna ask about that because I know you grew up with like sex education in your schools right yeah but I was opted out okay so I had to do this really I know you want to hear a funny story I do here comes tangent number one sure okay in the seventh grade, which was the first year of middle school, in, in Virginia, middle school is seventh and eighth. Okay. And so uh, health class is like health class, three quarters. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, hold on. Yeah, yeah. Health class takes the place in one quarter of PE. Okay, there we go. Okay. So PE happens three quarters, health one quarter, and the last like two or three weeks is what Virginia calls family life education, FLE. 
So FLE is coming and uh, they send home like notices to the classes saying this is the first day of FLE and there's an opt-out form. I am the only kid in a class of like 37 that gets opted out because my parents are like, praise Jesus, you know, heavens be. So I used to go to the library during health class for those few weeks and just like draw or read or like do there were a couple assignments I had to do that were like separate about like the human body but not about Mm -hmm. like sexual anatomy and then on like the last day of health it's June 5th my birthday my 13th birthday and I got my period while I'm having my first period in the library being opted out of sex ed oh my god so then okay I didn't know any gay people all right but our librarian was like rumored to be a lesbian which like (laughs) why is that a rumor like she was a lesbian and there's nothing like secretive or interesting about that she's just a woman who loves women so I go up to her and I'm like nervous because, you know, she's a lesbian. So if I tell her I had my first period, she might be into me or something. <laughs> Which is not true, but I'm like, it's my 13th birthday. I'm feeling like hot shit. So I guess, <laughs> I'm a woman today. I'm a woman. So I, I literally became a teenager and got my first period and got my ears pierced that afternoon oh for my, the first That time. was a big fucking day. It was a big day. That was like. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go up to her and she's like, hi, Claire, like everything going okay? And I'm like, I have a problem. And she's like, oh, okay, you need help finding a book. (laughs) So here's the Dewey Decimal System for you. (laughs) Oh, no, I already know the Dewey Decimal System. My mom was a volunteer librarian. (laughs) (laughs) Which only adds to the the multicolored cloth of this story. Exactly. So anyway, I tell her I have a problem. She's like, what kind of problem? And I was like, you know, like a... Like a lady problem. And she was like, oh, uh, do you need to go to the bathroom? And I was like, is that mm, is that what people do in this situation? <laughs> like we're having this weird like standoff. Oh, it was so embarrassing. But she was so cool about it. Whoever That's that librarian great. is. If anyone remembers from Stone Middle School in Centerville, Virginia, our seventh grade librarian, she was the best person ever. She was, she That's saved great. my ass. That's awesome. Well, she saved my vagina. <laughs> <laughs> Ian is like the most uncomfortable right now. No, I'm actually, I'm actually thinking, I'm, no, I'm actually not uncomfortable because like we grew up and like it was just like a very casual thing. Like they normalize, like they did their best to just normalize like sex education and like, like the human body and everything that you go through and, and like my parents were pretty chill about it too. Just like maybe because we're like coastal elitists and the liberal Jew media, but like that was just how we grew up. Legit, like every Jew time. media or fake news. <laughs> exactly. Like every time I see like something that's like slightly conservative, I want to like write and be like, hi, liberal Jew media here. Like, cause I'm like literally a liberal Jew media. <laughs> liberal Jew media. L- LJM. LJM. The LJM network. The LJM. With, with Ian Bronsky. <laughs> I'll get my like, I'll get Bob Balaban and Lynn Grossman in there. Yes. Oh man. And Rachel Maddow. Rachel Maddow. Oh. She's Jewish, right? She can, I mean, she's a lesbian. I was going to say, she'll marry me and convert for all I care. Oh, um, okay. I, I love Rachel Maddow. Oh, she is a lesbian. She is. She and that librarian that I knew. Maybe. What other lesbians do we know? <laughs> I remember, I don't know if this is a tangent or anything. I remember my first lesbian, um, which is a weird I thing to say. I remember my first lesbian. My first friend. The Ian Brodsky story. <laughs> it's going to be one of my many books. Um, I remember like being like, it's a freshman in high school and one of the girls in my mutual group of like in my central group of friends we're all as we've said very like liberal very jewish very like like go pro-choice whatever um 
And so this one girl, like, it was a joke at first that she was a lesbian, but then as the year progressed, it was like, oh, oh you no. came out to your you came out to your parents the other day. Oh gosh. Oh. Okay. Well, good for you. Congrats. Oh, so, you guys are so cool about that. Someone, yeah. someone that I went to school with, who's like still a friend of our family, mm-hmm. came out to his parents. Um, I, I heard, I don't know if it's true, but he came out like in a letter to his parents. Mm-hmm. And so then there was like rumors at school the next day, and mm-hmm. I was like about to ask him to like a dance or something, and mm-hmm. I should have still asked him. Just because he is a homosexual man does not mean he can't be my date to a dance. Right. But I was convinced that that meant that he never wanted to like be around women again, like. <laughs> Though, like that that's what fucking kids are learning in school right now yeah like it's bad it's just like the social stigmas about homosexuality oh but it's man, funny because, it makes me fucking crazy well because i'm thinking about it too and like even though all that was like not that it was normalized but like because like my friend being a lesbian was like a pretty big deal in that like oh like it was it was an affluent area enough that there was like plenty of conservative mindset right and that's still like up oh, no gays here um, but <laughs> oh like, God. but like we didn't, I mean, we never learned anything in like health class about like sex, like homosexual relationships or anything or like, I mean, now it's kind of a newer thing, but like the gender spectrum or like LGBTQ plus, like all of that stuff. Yes. Like we learned, like we learned health class and like we learned health class. That's a sentence. Um, <laughs> we learned sex education and all, but like, like if there was anyone that was gay in the school was like, up, oh, no, 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 no. Oh man! Yeah. Gosh, I really, I, I hope, I don't know. Not under this administration. I'm surprised that Obama didn't make it like a thing, you know, because President Bush, his whole thing was like the presidential excellence of working out or whatever that PE physical oh, yeah. fitness. Oh yeah, physical I fit- that. Oh man, that happened right in those really awkward years. Oh my god, <laughs> so true. But um, I, I'm surprised Obama didn't do it. Whoever our next fantastically democratic, you president. know, president is, yeah. whenever we get another one. Um, I hope that she, mm. <laughs> Elizabeth Warren, President Warren, 2020, 2020. Oh, President Obama, Michelle, oh. Gosh, with her arms of powerful <laughs> steel. <laughs> but I, I just hope, I hope there's like a whole, I, I don't know, just like a whole new set of initiatives about sex education in schools. That would be great. And I mean, like, yes, of course, like education is a state thing, but like, I, like. I think it's very important that, like, people learn from a very early age. But it's also, like, not, you know? Like, I I spent a summer working in West Virginia, and I don't want to, like, push any stigmas about that particular state, but I will tell you that many of the things that people outside of West Virginia think about the Appalachian, like, education system Mm -hmm. and coal mining and the kind of people that live out there, some of it's true. There were two people in our company that were cousins and dating, first cousins, and... I really feel like if sex education was not a state issue, yeah. then they would know that they should they can't date. <laughs> they can't they You can't date cuz if you procreate, that baby will not be healthy. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? I just yeah. like it's just like the basics. Like yeah, just like the absolutely. basics. Absolutely. <laughs> the basics. The basics. The basics. Um, oh, you're so basic, you know about sex ed. I know, right? Gosh, yeah. shut up. So gauche. Um, gauche. What the fuck is gauche? It's um. Well, it's French for left, as I know you know. But um. Oh oh gauche. A la goat. Oh. Okay. But but like in like in the American vernacular, it's like something that's like uncouth or like not like. Um, oh my god! I gotta start fucking saying that. I'm surprised you don't. To be oh honest. Oh my god! Can that be the name of the episode? Sure. Gauche. So gauche. So um, gauche. Yeah, like it's something like that's so uncouth or like that's like that's inappropriate or like that's so like. Yeah. I just think tourner à la gauche sounds way better than tourner à la droite. 
A droit, yeah. Droit. Well, yeah. It's gross. It's weird. It's a, it's Man. a funny language. Was that tangent number two, sex ed? Sure. All right, so we only have one more during oh, quiz gosh. time later. Okay. So, guys, we're about to get someone on the phone that I, I feel like my heart's about to fall out my butt. I'm so excited. I get- I'm going to cry. The, the excitement is like real palpable. Claire texted me about a week ago just saying, Ian, oh my God, Ian, oh my God. And I was like, what, what? And I was, I forget who I was with, but I was like, hold on. Like I have to tend to something and I will let Claire announce it. I emailed twice actually back when we started the show in October. And then again at the holidays when we were rebooking new guests on the show, I sent emails to a bunch of people who, uh, not post podcast, host podcasts <laughs> that I really admire. And two of the people I reached out to were Kevin T. Porter and Demi Adigewebe, the Gilmore guys. The Gilmore guys. And Kevin T. Porter wrote me back the other day and said, let's put it on the books. He'd love to do it. And so we're going to give him a little rink-a-dink-dink yeah. now. And I'm going to poop my pants. <laughs> I listen to his and Demi and all their amazing guests, their voices every day. And... I love Gilmore, and I love Bunheads, and I just, um, I think I'm going to fall apart inside. (laughs) I'm literally touching my face. I literally (laughs) have the masking tape on standby (gasps) and the diapers. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) So, here we go. We're going to call Kevin, and we're so excited, and thanks for doing the show, buddy. Thank you. Claire is calling Kevin T. Porter right now. Oh my God, shut up. Okay, here we go. (laughs) I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Okay, here we go. It's ringing. Guys, I am legit freaking out right now. Ian, am I freaking out? Claire's freaking the fuck out. I listen to this guy and Demi Adigiwive in my earbuds on the subway almost every day. And now we have him on the phone, on the show. I'm so excited. He's one half of the Gilmore Guys podcast. He is a vet at UCB, and he's a fabulous guy. Please welcome to the show Kevin T. Porter. Welcome. Hey, hey Kevin. Hello. Hey, 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 hi, hi, hi. <laughs> How are things in sunny Los Angeles? Well, it's not sunny currently. The sun has set for tonight. It's a nice 66, 65 degrees. Lucky? Uh, it feels good. It feels good out here tonight. Oh my gosh, we're so jealous. Today was like windy, 30, overcast. It was bad. It was fine. Where are you guys out of? We live on Manhattan. We're in New York. Oh, okay. I know some people in Manhattan. What a weird brag. I know some people. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, maybe I, we know I've them. i someone there. <laughs> no, but I bet you, you and Ian have some people in common because you're both UCB guys. It's possible. It's possible, but I don't, you know, it's funny how often kind of the left and right hands of UCBLA and UCB New York never talk to each other. It's true. There's like some insane overlap, like your Will Hines and your Neil Casey's who like did one a bunch and then came out here. But for a lot of it, and especially at the level that I was at, I feel like, I feel like there's not like a lot of community. It's not like a big family, even, even in the LA community. It's oftentimes not like a big family. So yeah, I feel that. I wish. wish I, did a, I did a show at UCB uh, in New York a couple of years ago uh, for the podcast, and that was a lot of fun because I'd never, 
I'd literally never seen a show in that space, and so the first time I was there, I was performing in it. So that was kind of wild. Yeah, were you in the uh, were you in the Chelsea location, the basement? Yeah, 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 yeah. The one under the grocery store. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that grocery store. So when you're in line for Ascat and Herald Night, we always like go into that grocery store because you're standing online for a long time in the yeah. cold. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, well, th- I mean, thank you again for doing the show, Kevin. I'm like, I'm over the friggin' moon. We super appreciate <laughs> it. I am so... Yeah, my pleasure. I'm like, I, I, okay, let's just hop right into it. First off, you are the co-host of a massive podcast. Like, Gilmore Guys has an unbelievable follower. Like, where? what was the point when you knew that it was really successful and, you know, gaining millions of downloads? Like, what, what kind of, when did that happen in the timeline? Well... I might have meant that to say, had a massive following, <laughs> because <laughs> turns out people not not as amped to talk about Bunheads and oh, listen no. to people talk about Bunheads. I mean, it's, no, it's, it's really fine, and we actually anticipated that that would happen, uh, so it's definitely become more of a niche. I mean, we still have our audience and everything, but we definitely separated the wheat from the chaff in the last <laughs> few months yeah. uh, with our discussion, but I guess... Uh, when I first realized, there was a few sort of key inflection points in the journey, like every couple of months. A lot of it was out of our control, right? So, like, we started on the day that they started, uh, when Netflix started airing the, the show on the streaming service worldwide. And so we timed it to that. But then the rest of it was just fortuitous and serendipitous. Like, we didn't plan out that they would do a reunion in ATX. We didn't plan out that Scott Patterson would blab and start a rumor. We didn't plan <laughs> out that they would come back and do four new episodes on Netflix. That was never part of the plan. So with us, it was just like, you know, faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust in terms of like the timing of it all. Like we worked hard to make this show good, but there's so much that was out of our control one, I think I truly underestimated the size of the audience of Gilmore and how, like, rabid and passionate it was because what I found in doing the show, and maybe it's just my own perspective and I'm biased because I was the one doing the show, but it feels like the the fan base and the fervor and passion that existed for it was something that I would have ascribed to a Buffy or something like that, something that, like, just plays really well on Tumblr. Right. You know, and, and there's like a million gifts of Spike and Buffy and Bangle <laughs> and, you know, all that stuff. And it, it to me, Gilmore always felt like way more niche than something like that. And way less, you know, it was on a major network for seven years, but way less a part of the mainstream. So I think I and certainly Demi, we both just underestimated the idea that anyone would want to listen at all. It sounds like a it sounds like a joke. I think Patrick Walsh put that so well in one of our recent uh, podcasts. He's like, oh, I'm going to go, you know, record a four-hour podcast about Bunhead or about <laughs> Gilmore Girls. That sounds like a toss-away 30 Rock joke. So the fact that it it is it exists and that anyone cares at all was always very shocking to us. But I think we I think we realized kind of the the size of it all when we did our first live show in LA and it sold out super quick we were like because for us it was always like wait can we do this would people give a crap at all and that was every part of it like would anyone give a crap if we tour would anyone give a crap if we xyz and so 
every part of it was baby steps. There was no plan to it at all. It was just like, yeah, let's try it. We'll see. If no one shows up, that's fine. And then people showed up, which made it very special for us. That's awesome. That is I mean, amazing. All of these opportunities have like really like snowballed almost out of control. Um, do you have any favorite highlights from uh, yours and Demi's experiences with the whole Gilmore universe doing the show? Um, your uh, your interactions with some of these people heavily involved in the show and the universe? You ended up on Colin, you're in the life. Like that, I just, I'm blown away. Like what, yeah, let's talk about opportunities. Uh, I appreciate you pronouncing the colon, by the way. A lot of people don't do that. And I, it's I because of you. <laughs> right. No, and, and when people write in and they, they write out the colon, I'm always like, thanks. <laughs> Another win for the Gilmore guys. Um, Hashtag oh, silly gilly party people. It's still alive. Oh, that, oh that, 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 you know, it didn't trend. I almost said it trended, but it a thousand percent did. Uh, I think that, I mean, as far as, I mean, every part of it was amazing. And I think some of my favorite experiences from from doing the show, I'll always think of, like, some of the live shows that we, you know, not every live show was the greatest that we did. You know, Cough Cough Philly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is so weird, because it felt like we were dying the whole time in Philly. And then when we met everyone afterwards, everyone was so nice and sweet and vocal, but Aww. I was like, where were you guys during the show? So it's like, they were nice, they were just shy, I don't know what was going on at that show. Well, the one, um, but really, the one the that one gets life? me is, oh, I'm sorry, the one that gets me is when, uh, is when Jason is making sex jokes about grandmas in the audience, and then making people trace dicks in the bathroom, <laughs> like. Oh yeah, all of that, and, and I just, when I think, when I think about that, even now, having like, not done a live show with the podcast three or four months it is surreal to think like wow we did a lot of stuff with this and it'll be surreal like oh yeah we performed at the novo with jason and we went to toronto and, and we you know sold out these shows in new york it's just so crazy to think about i'm as much a spectator in this whole process as anybody else but you know there's just like certain images that flash to my mind like uh, you know whether it's seeing everyone's cell phones light up during our song and in um, Boston when we did a show there or, you know, the first time coming out and hearing 800 people at our show in uh, Washington, D.C. and that stuff. And then some of the people just like meeting them after the show and making something that's very, you know, broad and big in the performance, very personal and small in like talking and interactions and people who like (laughs) some really sweet people who just have like gifts for us or like you know, there was this, uh, I remember there was this one girl at the um, show that we did in Los Angeles, and she came up to both of us, and we were super rushed. We were so stupid. We, we booked flights to go to Connecticut for the Gilmore Fan Festival. Right. Literally, like, 20 minutes after the thing. So so we were so stupid about that. But, <laughs> but she came up to us, and she said, like, you know, it was a really hard year and I think she was in college or she might have been in grad school. But she said it was a really hard year and, and she kind of started crying and then she just gave us a hug and it's like, I don't know what more, you know, you could ask for in terms of like being able to connect with a person and know that like a, something that you don't value yourself, like whether, 
whether it whatever job it is that you have like sometimes it's hard to connect it to like is it bringing value to the world is it am i making anyone's like day-to-day life better in a small or big way at all and so to be able to like connect the dots with that and that has so much to do with the like the generosity of our fans and um our fans i should say the listeners of our show i don't know yeah. if I call them, that feels weird but um but if they're all if they're all listening to the show but they're not fans <laughs> I mean, we have a few of those. Really? Yeah, I mean, listen, it takes all kinds. It takes all kinds. We welcome all kinds. It's a big tent. But yeah, like that sort of stuff is very, very meaningful to me. And, you know, that like, that gives me a lot of hope in a weird way. And it's something I think about a lot, even when we're not uh, touring and kind of at the dizzying heights that it got to with the revival and all that jazz. Right. Cool. Ian sitting over here watching me swoon over everything you're saying cuz I'm I'm thinking about the times like you know after the election and everything especially like everyone on the train was so sad but I was listening to you pour out your heart to Demi and Aisha and and Sarah and I was like gosh this is like you know th- these moments make me thankful give me hope like I'm excited to go and do the podcast with Ian after I listen to an episode of Gilmore Guys. So it's I just love hearing you say that. Oh, that's so sweet. That's really, really nice to hear. By the way, I did not want to release that episode. Oh, no. <laughs> the, the, the fall one, even though it was like, cause there's so much weird pressure on it because it's like, it's, this, it's the last episode ever that we have of Gilmore Girls in ergo of this like iteration of Gilmore Guys. So we have to nail it. I thought I wasn't funny, and I thought there was a weird energy, and I like I was quiet for like two hours on it. I was like, after we record, I was like, oh shit, we have to re-record, and I like went through an anxiety spiral with like, uh, should I get Aisha and Sarah back? And they were like, I texted them, they're like, if you need us to come back for anything, we'll do it. They were so nice, and I felt like a jerk. But then we just put it out, and you know, it was right before Christmas, so it wasn't even doable. But uh, I'm I'm glad it still turned out okay or whatever it was <laughs> yeah well i think we're all definitely our our worst our own worst critics absolutely yeah i th- i mean i love that I mean, episode you probably learned in doing this podcast like the amount of hours you have to spend listening to yourself you have to like get over it on some level right where it's like right. Uh, right if i didn't like the sound of my voice i have to learn to at least tolerate it and then maybe like it or change it or use it in a different way right like uh, that's a that's a hump you have to get over right well while we're on that I mean let's get into some of the semantics of the podcast I know my favorite segment is pop goes the culture do you when you're doing bunhead bros and everything like do you miss fashion no I don't miss fashion because I never felt like I could speak authoritatively or interestingly about it at all the fashion segment started as, like, you know, an extension of the premise of, uh, or an extension of the joke of the premise, which is, like, we're not qualified to talk about this. <laughs> oh, so let's talk about fashion. <laughs> like, we're the same thing every day and look like we do. Like, why are we talking about fashion at all? So, so for me, it's almost kind of a relief to not have to get into it on any level. I mean, maybe we'll bring it back for a special episode, but probably not. I don't miss that. I don't miss that at all. 
Well, that, I definitely, it's funny because when you guys were headed into Bunhead Bros, Demi was like, what are we even going to talk about? Don't they just wear leotard and tights the whole time? <laughs> but the more, especially like the um, the episode where they go to the movie truck, I which I guess is your, your next one probably, right? Um, yeah, we just recorded that last night. Yeah, oh, so great. cool. I just, I was thinking about those sexy dresses they wear and all of the shops, you know, all of the shop girl things that are going on. And I was like, man, if. If fashion was happening, like, so I, I was just curious. Yeah, we'd be all over that. But thankfully, we, yeah, I just don't know what we, I just don't know what we would contribute. It was fun at the live shows because there was such a visual element where we all knew what we were talking about at the same time. But in in, in doing the podcast, it just kind of became either monotonous or toil. So I'm, I, I don't miss it. I'm, I'm sorry it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> it but i i don't miss it too much that's okay pop goes the culture keeps me going yeah well i mean pop goes the culture is really one of the reasons the show exists at all because it was my first like two or three years before we put out gilmore guys i just on my own just for a video project started putting together every pop culture reference in a gilmore girls you know episode and then a season (laughs) i was like Oh, maybe I'll put out a video one day of like literally every pop culture reference in Gilmore Girls, and and so I started doing that, and uh, and then when when it was announced that it was coming on Netflix, I was like, oh great, I already have one perspective to do <laughs> oh, a amazing. podcast about. I could I could already envision it. So like that was kind of a north star in terms of like first planning out the podcast. Right now, um, I can officially say that I've seen, like, all of maybe two episodes of Gilmore Girls, Confession Time. He's a noob. Um, I'm so, I'm such a noob. Um, What, I mean, and I do like it. Like, I I found out that you were going to, like, do our show, and I was like, that's awesome. I have to watch this show now. (laughs) And, um, and... And I'm enjoying it, but like, what, uh, what, like, what episodes do you recommend me watching, or like, should I just have to binge watch it, like, to get it? I know Claire's answer to it, but like, I want to know your <laughs> hot take on it. It's like there's certain episodes that are more representative of the show than others. Like, like I wouldn't recommend you start with, uh, like, oh, Lorelai out of water for season three, <laughs> or one of those like super crappy ones that you know go nowhere and aren't interesting at all. Um, I mean, you know, listen, it, watching it from the beginning, I always recommend for most TV shows, if you're looking to get, like, a snippet of a taste of what it's like, then, you know, you got your classics like, you know, Rory's Dance, 106 in, in, uh, in season one, or actually, no, that's 109, uh, or you got the Break Bridge Dinner, 210, or they shoot Gilmore, it's not very 307, or, or even, like, uh, the Raining Lorelei, 416, which I think in some ways, might be my favorite episode of the show. Really? Uh, even though it's not like, you know, that's not like a widely held belief, I guess. But just because it's such a solid, you know, palate cleanser, small episode. Uh, you know, I, I might recommend those. Or like a season five episode, like Written in the Stars, where Luke and Lorelai go out on their first date. Yes. Um, I, I definitely think of You Jump, I Jump Jack, which I know is polarizing for some people who aren't Team Logan, but... I'm like, oh sure, yeah. I'm fifty fifty Jess and Logan, and whenever I watch that show, I, that episode, I should say, like it, it kind of gets me in the feels. <laughs> yeah, as as uh, it does many many a woman and men uh, <laughs> who watch the show. 
Uh, when we did it, we kind of went negative on it. That was a live show we did. But yeah, you right. know, for some reason at the time, it kind of, it struck me in my memory as being very fanciful and whimsical. And then rewatching, I was like, oh, these guys are kind of D-bags. And then the, the bummer of A Year in the Life is that now, 507, Huge Jump, I Jump, Jack, I'm going to put it all in one piece with that dumbass Life and Death Brigade nightmare sequence yes. that to the to the to get the, ready rory all that stuff i'm just gonna think like oh this is bullshit so when i even when going back to watch that episode i'm gonna be like wow oh, well it's these d-bags i don't know if i want to watch this again right yeah it does kind of sour some of the old some of the old memories definitely sure well, speaking of which, let's go, let's get into, first off, we're about 20 minutes into this call. Do, what kind of time do you have? Because we want to be respectful of your time, um, but we also love talking to you. So just uh, let us, what are your parameters in terms of time right now? Uh, I'm good for right now. If I need to go, I'll just start screaming. <laughs> Deal. Okay. That's a good way to put it. Okay. Um, so, cool. yeah, we're talking about things that uh, may put sour taste in our mouth. Let's talk about the things the fans love to hate. Ian has no idea what this list means. This is, like, pretty much all looting me, but, like, it gives me a lot to look forward to. They're, like, spoilers with no context. April Nardini, Vineyard Valentine, Lindsay Forrester. Like, what are some of the storylines, the, the things that really irk you in the Gilmore universe? Oh, or- I, you know, I don't hate Lindsay. I really don't. Oh, I okay. She gets a bad rap. She was a sweet, sweet person to her dumbass husband who came home after you know what. Like that really bummed me out. And seeing her make the meatloaf and be so happy that it came out right. Like, no, I don't hate Lindsay. I don't hate her at all. I don't hate April Nardini. I hate I hate April Nardini as a device. But yes. I think more and more, and especially as I'm getting into Bunhead, I used to I think the Paladino's lack of pacing discipline uh, is a virtue when it's applied in just the right way. But I think for the most part, and especially after the revival episode, it's their biggest vice is that they just have no sense of like momentum in their stories at all. And if anyone calls them out on it, they just say, well, that's life. Life's like that. It's just, that's so weird. Like, dramatist explanation for why something doesn't work is like, well, sometimes life doesn't work. But it's like, oh, great. It's a non-answer answer. It's like impenetrable as a criticism. Uh, so I think anything that has to do with that, even, you know, the Luke and Lorelai slow burn of their relationship and romance, for the most part, works for me because it's not the only thing that's the most interesting thing about this show. In fact, it's not in the top five most interesting things about Gilmore to me. So that works, like, but, and I think, like, the deconstruction of Rory's character works and how slow they played that, but but other things, like, like arbitrarily breaking Luke and, and Lorelai up, that might have been one of my least favorite stories, not because of April, but because of what April represented. Right. I think that. And just, like, the inability to tell an interesting story about two people who like each other and are getting along. Like, I, I, I think as, as uh, even as consumers of storytellers, we're, like, we're almost post that as a, as a believable trope in our 
pop culture and, and in our, especially in our sitcoms, I should say, specifically in our sitcoms, like the Jim and Pam and the Sam and Diane of it all. Like, if mm. you're going to do that, I would say either don't ever get them together, I'll have the Sorkin years of Josh and Donna on the West Wing, right. or just get them together and then have them love each other and let the conflict be intrinsic to their flaws rather than these deus ex machinas dropped out of nowhere. Mm. So anything on Gilmore that felt like that, like a deus ex machina, where it's like, what? why are we doing this? This seems so arbitrary. That stuff always irks me. I think the things that kind of rub me the wrong way are like the fake fiscal, like all the economics of the whole thing were like, Sometimes money is a big issue and Lorelai's clipping coupons. And then sometimes they're like, they, I mean, they order food every night and like mul- <laughs> multiple kinds of food. So I'm just, you know, that, their, that gets their me. takeout budget is equivalent to a year's salary. Yes. I, I guarantee you. Oh, it's insane. The other thing, I know I tweeted this to you a while back, but I got to know, okay, in colon year in the life, we got Stars Hollow the musical. Ian and I both were, were New York actors. Obviously, music theater is a big part of our career. I have to know, how did Taylor get a guest contract, an equity guest contract, for the <laughs> Sutton Foster and Christian Borrell? It makes me crazy. I'm like, how are they un- <clears throat> How are they unionized in this town? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We didn't talk about unions enough on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Of it. We didn't talk about actors' equity and bag residuals. That should have been. Although, there is a there is a funny behind-the-scenes uh, story about SAG stuff that I'll tell you off mic that one of the other actors from the show oh, okay. told me about the first season of the show. I can't talk about on mic, but that's a little teaser. And if you're listeners, make up what that is. <laughs> and I bet it's interesting. Um but, yeah, no, Taylor's, like, maybe Taylor's also secretly a millionaire. We've talked all the time how Luke, not so secretly, just heck loaded That dude has pockets that are as deep as the Grand Canyon. And yeah. people, like, Bill, look, I don't know why Emily would still look down on him. when He could, like, he could, uh, to borrow the phrase, buy her house and turn it into his ping pong room if he wanted to. <laughs> I guess it's because uh, he's not—he's not old money. I guess like he's not necessarily new money, but he's not. His family name doesn't have a stake. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> Maybe that's the next series. I know he is kind of like a, a, a Mr. Lorelai. He's kind of like I always think of him as Lorelai's guy, as opposed to like them as a couple. I kind because of, he. I mean, he has a very fleshed out character at some points, but oftentimes I think he's like a prop for Lorelai to be going through it a little bit. Oh, a thousand percent. Almost every male character on the show, just their purpose is solely defined by the relationship to a woman, which is like something we're not used to seeing. So when that happens, it's like, whoa. Like, <laughs> I can't imagine what like the MRA Reddit threads are for this show. Like, Right. If they if they would ever perchance to watch, but but yeah, that's something that I didn't notice upon the first watch that really struck out to me upon rewatch when we started it a couple of years ago. It's like yeah, the men kind of get the shaft on this show in a lot of ways, which is you know totally fine. Like it's it's different and it's new, and even more so on Bunhead. Bunhead, there's like barely any guys, and they're all forgettable and stuck. Like there's no. There's not really a Jeff on Bunhead. There's not mm-hmm. really a Luke. 
Right. On bunheads. They all just kind of like flit in and out. Yeah, I think that bunheads, uh, I mean, we'll get into it. Ian has some questions about ASP and Daniel anyway. Yeah. 